Okay, so as Ashley was sharing, we are going to be continuing in our series call that we've called Uncomfortable, and I'm going to do my best to share my heart and also to teach from the life and the teachings of Jesus about a topic that can sometimes push us way out of our comfort zone. It's a topic that has been brought to the forefront of our conversations. It's been on our news feed. It's, it's something that we've been talking about a lot in the world, but it's not a new conversation. Again, it's, the, it's a conversation about racism, and particularly, what is our response as the church? By now, most of you are very familiar with the name George Floyd. Um, he, many of us watched his death. We watched the video because it was all out there. We, um, many spectators watched him die. We, got it. we watched him die on that video, and um, we watched him plead for his last breath. Right, and he died right before our eyes. And his death has sparked so many conversations across the nation, across the world, about the topic of racism. But this isn't a new conversation. This is a conversation that's been going on for a long, long time, but his death has sparked the conversation in a, in a deeper way recently. And it's brought this conversation to the forefront of all of our news feeds. It's been a conversation that's probably happened around your dinner table. And um, so let me just be honest with you. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like uncomfortable conversations. I don't like to face hard things. I'm an Enneagram 7, and for those of you who know about Enneagram 7s, we don't like discomfort, okay? Um, but I can't shake that, that there's this feeling. This I feel like the Holy Spirit has been nudging me, been pushing me, really, to lean into this conversation, to leave in, lean into this subject and, and really examine myself when it comes to this. As a church leader, I... Also, especially, I'm sensitive to rock the boat, to push people, to make people feel uncomfortable. I don't want to face the risk of being misunderstood or being labeled as maybe too liberal or too conservative or, um, you know, just I don't want to be misunderstood. And even we, as a community, we've made a few small steps to start to engage our conversation in this conversation. And even those small steps have been faced with some criticism and some harsh words from people. And I don't want to deal with that, if I'm honest. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so, while many of us may feel really uncomfortable about this topic, this morning I want to take us into the awkward, into the conversation, um, and into that, discom that discomfort as we examine what this looks like for us as a Christian community and as a church. Over the past month, I have been stirred. I've been deeply stirred. And as a white woman, I have been seeking to learn. I have been seeking to, to try to understand. I've been reading. I've been asking a lot of questions. I've been trying to take a deeper look at racism. And I've been stepping into conversations with friends of mine who are people of color and wanting to know what is your experience. What are, I want to understand experiences that I don't experience myself. And let me say right now, that it's been really challenging. It's been challenging for me. I've been afraid. I've been, I've been afraid to say the wrong things, to say terminology that's going to be offensive. I don't know what to say. Um, and for a lot of reasons, I, I've, I've been really hesitant to even bring up these conversations, but I've feel, been feeling this nudge that I need to, I need to learn. I need to, there's some things that I need to, to unpack. And, um, and I don't want my insensitive questioning to even to cause more pain for people. So sometimes I'm hesitant to even go there with people because I don't, I don't know what to say. It's awkward. 
I'm so grateful for the friends that I have who have been so gracious with me as I've, I've, I've been asking some of my black, black friends about their experiences. They have been so gracious with me. And they've been sharing with me some of their experiences. Um, but some of these friends, I've been friends with for a long time. And honestly, I've never acknowledged the fact that they were black. Like, we've been friends for years. But because it's been too awkward or because I've been afraid, I've never asked them or acknowledged the fact that they were black. Imagine being friends with someone, like really close friends with someone, but never even acknowledging a significant part about who they are. For a long time, I kind of thought that that was the best approach because I kind of thought, well, it's, it's better to be colorblind. I've heard people say, you know, I don't even see color, I, you know, because I'm colorblind. You know, I, I, every, everyone's the same. I treat everyone the same. And, and they'll say I'm colorblind. But the problem, what I'm learning, is the problem with being colorblind or not acknowledging people's race is that it can actually contribute to greater racial inequality because you're not willing to address the system or acknowledge the systems that racially discriminate. Or you're not also willing to acknowledge the privilege that you may have. So I have a question for us this morning. As we witness injustice in the world around us, we need to ask ourselves, what is my part in this? What is my part? And how do people who don't look like me experience me? I believe that Jesus actually had a lot to say about justice and how to respond to injustice. And so to start us out, I want to take us into a story from the Bible. It's found in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And many of you may have already read it before, but if you haven't, just read along with us now. Um, I'm going to read the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it starts like this. It says, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what was written in the law? What do you read there? And the, the guy answered, he quoted, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, he told the story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead on the road. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who's like a helper to a priest, a religious person, he came to the, to the place and he saw him and he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is about an amount of money. He gave the money to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? This is a question that Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. 
So some of us have heard the story many times, and we often would like to, we like to think of ourselves like, yeah, you know, I'm, I identify with that good Samaritan, you know, the Samaritan. He's, he's the good guy. He's the hero of the story. And we like to identify with him. We like to think that we're good people and that when we're faced with injustice, that we're going to jump in and do what we can. But I want us to look at this story from the perspective of the priest and the Levite. So one thing we can presume from the story is that the man who was traveling down the road was a Jew. And the priest and the Levite, they're obviously Jews too. So they had a lot, of, they had a lot more in common with the guy who got beat up than the Samaritan did. The priest and the Levite, they would have had this, they come from the same cultural background. Maybe they spoke the same language. They had maybe the same skin color. They, were, they had a lot in common with the man that they found on the side of the road that was beaten and nearly dead. But the only thing that we know about the Samaritan man who was walking by was that he was from a different ethnic group. That's all that Jesus mentions about him. Now, I want to ask us this question. Why was the fact that he was a Samaritan an important element for Jesus to point out in the story? You know, like, he could have left that part out. He could have just said it was a stranger that passed by and left out the fact that he was a Samaritan who was from a different ethnic group. And uh, he, was a, he was someone who probably looked different. He had a different skin color. And in that culture, Samaritans were kind of like, the re- they were kind of rejected. They were discriminated against in that culture. But the race of the Samaritan man is not left out of the story. In fact, it's highlighted. It's a key part of the lesson of what Jesus was trying to teach about how to love your neighbor and who your neighbor is. So if we say that we follow Jesus, then we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and get involved in in injustices that happen around us, even if it means moving out to love people that we have less in common with, people who don't look like us. That is our neighbor. In church, I, if we're honest, I think we tend to have more in common with the priest and the Levite than we do with the Samaritan in that story. Now, I know I'm not speaking for everybody in our community, but stick with me. Because whether you're black or brown or red or yellow or white or green or whatever, we all, we all have work to do in this area. This past month, as I've been leaning into this rabbit hole of racism, I've been finding that the deeper I go, the more complex, the more multifaceted, the more complicated and conflicting. And honestly, it has been really, really discouraging for me. For some people, when they hear about the deaths of people like Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd or Tamir Rice or Breonna Taylor, or Eric Gardner, or others, the response is sadness. It's like, you know, like when you hear of a story of something that happens like clear across the world, there's a, you hear about a tragedy that happens and um, where like a lot of people died, and you think, wow, that's sad. And then you just go on with the rest of your day and you forget it happened, right? It happens all the time. But for many people, when they hear about the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tamir Rice and Eric Gardner and and so many others. The response is more than mad, more than just, oh, that's sad. The response is deeper. It's, it's, they're not just sad. They're mad, they're fearful, 
they feel the hurt. They can feel the hurt because when they see those images of those faces, they see their brother or their father or their husband or their sister or someone who who they identify with. It becomes personal. It's like seeing that one of their own was suffering. Have, have you noticed that when, whenever you hear like on the news a story about like a plane crash that crashes on the other side of the world and say they say, the, the news person will say, oh, 300 people died and two Americans. And immediately our response as Americans is, oh, wow, how sad, two Americans. And then we start to wonder, well, I wonder where they're from. I wonder, maybe they're from my state. Maybe they're from my town. Maybe we went to school together. Maybe it's someone I know. Like, yeah, 298 other people died, but we identify with the two Americans, right? We all do this. And I, I believe that that is, that is a normal response because we, we, be, we identify with them because we identify with their identity. It becomes more real, and then we have more of a response to it. Now, I'm not saying this to put some kind of false sense of shame on you. I just want to call it out for what it is. Because our emotional response tends to be deeper when you identify with the person that suffers. Uh, A few weeks ago, um, Colin was teaching about um, the body of Christ. And he was teaching out of the book of Corinthians, which is a letter that a man named Paul, whose life was totally transformed by Jesus, he went, when his life was transformed, he traveled around the world, he started up new churches, and he started to write letters to those churches. And in one of the letters, he was trying to describe to this church what the body of Christ should look like. And so this is what he wrote. He wrote, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. So no matter what your ethnic heritage is, whether slave or free, whatever your socioeconomic status is, we are all, we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then he goes on to say, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When we understand our role within the body of Christ, and we see this connection that we all share with each other, then when we see injustices happen, like when someone's killed or when someone's discriminated against, it doesn't just make us sad. We become more than sad. We become stirred. We become mad. It's as if it's someone from our own family, our own friend, our own sister, our own brother or daughter or sister. We... we, we wouldn't be able to just walk by and move on with our day and forget it happened. No. We would stop. We would stop what we were, and do whatever we could to help those who are suffering. Just like the Good Samaritan, we would stop and we would treat their wounds, and, and it would cost us something. Remember, the Good Samaritan, he got his checkbook out, and he paid for the medical care. He found him a safe place to stay. He took personal and he took financial responsibility and ownership for this stranger's needs. In church, that is what I call uncomfortable. It's when it costs us something. 
I want us to consider how do people who don't look like us experience us? So I believe that it's not enough to be a non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. Let me explain here why I believe that this is central to the word of God. The difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan story is a, in the story is a lot like the difference between a non-racist and an anti-racist. The priest and the Levite, they, they didn't attack. They didn't rob the person. They didn't beat him. They, they, did, they didn't do anything to harm the man walking on the side of the street. They weren't guilty of those crimes. In the same way that you could say or I could say, I'm not a racist. I didn't say anything to discriminate. I didn't do anything to hurt a person who have a, of a different skin color. But being a non-racist isn't enough. Just like when the priest and the Levite didn't, what they did was not enough. They walked right by injustice and they didn't do anything to help. They walked right by, they saw someone suffering and was like, it's not my problem. I'm not guilty of anything. But when you're anti-something, then you don't just walk by. You don't just hear about something that's wrong and think, well, I didn't do it, so it's nothing to really to do with me. When you're anti-something, then you speak up when you hear it. You address it when you see it. The thing about the body of Christ, and the thing about being a part of a Christian community, this is like the awkward but essential part of being a part of the Christian community, the body of Christ, is that when one part suffers, other parts, every other part suffers with it. We don't just ignore suffering. We get up under the burden of suffering, and we feel it, and we bury it. We carry it. Paul wrote in another letter in Galatians 6, 2, he wrote, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Let me read that again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. When you carry someone's burden, when you get up under the weight of their burden and you decide to carry the burden of someone else who's discriminated against or carry their burden, then we don't stay silent. We know because it's our burden. We can feel the weight of it. We can feel the pain of it in our own body. And when you shift from being a non-racist to an anti-racist, you might discover some disturbing things about you. You might discover that there's a racist in the mirror. That race, maybe there's some racism that you may not even be aware of, some things that you may need to unlearn. And you may not even know it's there until you start to dive into this and start to speak up. This, this, if I'm honest, this happened to me this last week. Um, Colin and I have been looking, at, looking to buy a house. We've been looking at houses. And um, I w- drove by a house that we were looking at and drove around the neighborhood just to kind of see what the neighborhood was like. And at the end of the street, there was a house. And outside of the house, there was probably 10 to 15 black teenage boys that were playing basketball in the street in front of the house. And when I saw them, a little thought went through my mind like, hmm, I wonder what this means for the neighborhood. And I hate to admit that racist thought that came through my mind, but it was there. And as, as I've been diving, diving into this, I've been seeing little, little bits of racism, little things that I need to unlearn, little things that I need to repent of in my own heart. Because honestly, I believe there's a little bit of racism in all of us. 
Okay, so I know that that's a lot here, and I know that this already feels really overwhelming, but I do want to leave us with some practical things to consider. I want you to take a look at the people that are in your life, the people who don't look like you or don't experience the world like you do. And I want you to consider, like, how many of those people, how many people do you have in your circle that actually don't look like you? Or does everyone in your circle of close friends look exactly like you and have a similar experience in life that you do? If that's the case, I want to challenge you to broaden your circle. Because I believe that proximity is not the same as friendship. Just knowing people, like, oh, I, I know someone who has a different skin color. No, no. Proximity is not the same of friendship. It's not enough. Because when you have proximity alone, then you're not carrying identity. It's different when it's a friend who's suffering than it is when, when you, like, hear a story about a stranger who's suffering. Like, like we hear st stories about strangers suffering on the news, and it's like it doesn't affect us. It doesn't really change us because we don't identify with those people. But when it's a friend, when it's someone that you care about, when it's someone that you know, and they know you, and, you, and they suffer, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> In the past few weeks, I've been having conversations with some of my black friends, and some of them have shared with me some stories of what, it's, what their experiences have been being black in America and times when they have experienced racism. Some of them have shared with me stories of how they're afraid to go running in their neighborhood. Like, that's something that I've never considered any sense of fear about just running in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm afraid of running for other reasons because I don't like exercise, but honestly, like, that's a thought that never has crossed my mind. Um, they've shared with me about encounters that they've had with the police where they've had to be, like, really careful about they, what they did so they weren't misunderstood. And some of these encounters have made me shake my head in disbelief. And, then, and some of them have shared with me some of their fears for their children growing up. And when it's, hap when it's something that happens to a friend, when, so when, it, when I hear a story that's not just from a stranger, but someone I know, someone I care about, someone I identify with as a friend, then that, that it becomes personal. It becomes painful. I can feel it in my own body. Knowing people who, um, knowing the names of people who don't look like you is not the same as having a friend who doesn't look like you. And Jesus, he modeled and he demonstrated this in the way that he lived his life. He surrounded himself with a diverse group of people that came from different lifestyles and different lives than he did. He invited men who were from so many different ra racial or cultural contexts, rich people, poor people, working class people, religious leaders, a tax collector. Nobody wanted to hang out with, with him. Scribes, there were women, there were different people from different groups. And some of those people, they didn't want to be friends with each other. But Jesus was really intentional to pull into his inner circle a group of people that had diverse backgrounds, that weren't all the same. And that's the model that he set for us. And he said to them in John 15, 15, he said, I call you friends. They weren't just like, you know, these are my little project. No, no. These were friends. These were people that he shared his life with. He shared his, his dinner table with. He made them breakfast. They went camping. They hung out. They were his buddies. They were his friends. That's how he lived. He was intentional. He was invitational. He reached out, and he was deliberate to spend time with people and to share meals with people that come from diverse backgrounds. I don't know how people, I, I don't know, if we don't know people who 
um, come from different backgrounds than we do, then we, I don't think that we can ever really bear their burden because we're not going to identify with them as one of us. So as a Christian community, I want to ask, how are we to respond to racism? Pretty much the very last lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he was arrested, they were sitting around a table, and he, this is like the very last thing. He was like, if you don't remember anything else, just really remember this important last lesson. He said to them, by this one thing, people are going to know that you are one of my disciples. He said, I, and he gave them a command. He said, I, this is verse 34. He says, I, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This isn't an option. This is a command. This is like when I leave for a trip and I'm going to leave my kids for a few days and I give them like my final instructions before I leave, which is usually don't forget to feed the dog and take him out. Like, and this is... This is something that happens in our house quite frequently. The last thing I say before I leave, um, yeah, I love them and all the rest of it, but I know that they're going to take care of themselves. Like, I know that if they're hungry, they're going to figure out a way to feed themselves. But I want to make sure that they know that this is not just like a wish that I have. This is a command. This is an order. This is something that I, I'm not asking. I am telling them, you better remember to feed the dog, and take the dog out because I do not want to come back and find a mess in the house because you didn't follow that command. This is, this is the, the last thing I say before I leave. And the last thing that Jesus said before he left is like, I've done all this teaching for the, all these years, these last three years. I've had so much instruction, but my last thing, I want to give you a last command. I want you to love one another. And, and I want you to love each other like I have li- loved you. How did he love them? Wow, he loved them with so much intentionality. He, he invited them to live life with him. He, he invited them to have a seat around his table. He had close proximity to them. He called them friends. He gave up everything for them. In fact, just, before, just after he did this, the disciples didn't know that, but he, then he gave his life for them. And then he finished this by saying, by this, everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Imagine if right now the world, when they saw the church, when they, saw, when they thought of the church, they would know us. They would be like, yeah, those are the people who love one another. Imagine if we were known for that. Imagine if when the world sees us, they, were, they would be like, wow, they love one another. They identify with one another. They, bear, they carry each other's burdens. They truly show love. They, they stand up for the injustices amongst them. They give for, to each other. They care about each other. They are a united body. If, if that is how the world would see the church, imagine what would happen. Imagine how the world would change. And, the, and the, the, the people will know us because they'll be like, I know that they, they love each other, and, and that, that must be because they follow Jesus. So I want to leave us with a few practical steps here. And I've already mentioned one of them, but I want to remind you about it. So I want you to, again, consider the people that, who are in your life who don't look like you. And if you can't think of any close friends who don't have a different skin color or come from a different cultural background to you, then I want to challenge you to find some friends. Find some friends. Pray to God to bring people into your life who don't look like you. And 
this is something that I've been doing, and I've actually been, God has been providing people. God has been bringing people into my life. And, and I, I believe that if you pray that prayer, that God's going to bring people to you. And when he does, I want to encourage you to be intentional, to invite them in, to welcome them into your circle, to live your life with them, and, and, because, and, and seek them out and invite them into your life. This past Thursday night, we had a conversation, that we started a conversation about race and racial equity. And it was a powerful, powerful time in our community where we had an opportunity to hear from a few black people in our Anthem community who shared with us some of their experiences of being black in America and encounters that they've had with racism. It was, it was a powerful, powerful time. And then we prayed together. And it was a diverse group, and it was a great start to a conversation that we believe is of the beginning of a process of healing and transformation. And later next month, we hope to start up a regular group for people who want to engage or want to take a deeper step into the issue of racism. And if this is something that you might be interested in, I want to encourage you to take a step by letting us know that you're interested. There is a link, there's a form on our website, anthemchurch.life. If you just go to that website, at the, like the second part of the website, there's a little thing that has an interest form. Fill out the form. Let us know that you're interested. And we are going to be, we want to start this conversation, and we want to invite you. If, this is, if you're feeling that nudge, if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to take that step and to explore what that looks like. And in the meantime, another practical step that you could take. This is something that you could do right away. There is a five-day reading plan that's available on version, and it was put together by a woman named uh, Latoya, uh, sorry, Lat- uh, Latasha Morrison. I've messed up her name. Latasha Morrison, she is the founder of an organization called Be the Bridge, and Be the Bridge is an organization that aims to bring re- racial reconciliation, and it's a biblically-based organization, and they put together a five-day reading plan that you can do. I would encourage you, do it. Maybe invite some friends to do it with you, but this is some, just a way for you to just like ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you take a step into this conversation. Now, I know that this is, this is a, not a quick fix. There's no quick fix. There's no quick answer. The road to healing the wounds of racism and the systems that have created it, it's a long one. This is not just some hot topic that we have for the month of June and then we move on to something else and forget about it. This is something that at Anthem that we are committed to for the long haul. And we know that it's much, it looks a lot more like a marathon than a sprint. This is also a topic that can quickly turn political and divisive. And we know that there's some churches that will lean far to the left or far to the right, and there'll be some people who are going to disagree with each other. And, and, the, and we're going to see people at, on both extremes, even within our community. And as a church, we are going to choose to love people, even if we don't agree with each other. I love um, this thing that a pastor named Anley Stanley, he's a pastor in Georgia, and he said this about, about the extremes. He said, the truth is rarely found in the extremes. It's found where the circles overlap in the middle. The messy, messy middle is where the brutal and uncomfortable facts all come together. That's also where problems can be solved. But it's so uncomfortable. It's so much easier to retreat to the echo chambers of extreme where everyone agrees, but nothing is ever accomplished. In the messy middle, we are confronted with the uncomfortable 
facts. The truth is rarely in the extremes. It's found in the middle. It's messy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And that is the essential truth of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Are you willing to step into discomfort? Are you willing to step into the pain of someone who's been discriminated against? Even if it costs you something, are you willing to love your neighbor as yourself? As we, this is, this is the radical way of Jesus. This is the radical, radical way that Jesus lived and the, what he has called us as a church to be. As we're going to continue on with our service, we're going to move into a time of prayer and worship. And we're going to be singing a song. And I want to invite you, this is not a time to tune out, okay? Hopefully you're still with me here. Um, this is not a time to tune out because I believe that even though we're not in the same room together, that we as a church, as a body of Christ, can come together and we can sing out this prayer, this song of prayer um, that to, to the Holy Spirit, ask him to do a work of transformation in us. And so as we sing this song, I, I want to ask you to, wherever you are, where, whether you're watching this on your phone somewhere or in your living room, wherever you are, take this moment to come to God with this simple but radical prayer, asking him to come and awaken us, to come and bring healing to us personally and to our nation. And then at the end of the song, I want us to stick together and I want us to pray together because I believe that this is not something that can just be done with our own will. We need the power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to come and heal what has been broken, to make right what has been made wrong. And we cannot do this without the power and the transformational power and the love of God. And so uh, after we sing the song, we're going to come together and I'm going to close us with a closing prayer. And I want to encourage you not just to watch the prayer, but join me in it. So let's worship together now. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for our world to look like it does in heaven. We know that in heaven we have the promise that every nation that every tongue, that every tribe, that every skin color will be gathered together in unity before the King of Kings and worshiping together. And God, we want to see that on earth. God, I pray that you will bring the unity to your body, that you would help us to bring healing to this nation, healing where there has been injustice, making right the wrongs. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you, you would, that you, we would see diversity in the body of Christ and that we would be known on earth for our love for one another. We'd be famous for our love. God, we pray that our hearts would be synced with the Holy Spirit, that we would be, we would be open to what you're doing within us, that as we feel you nudge, that we will take the steps, Lord, that you would help us to build friendships with people who don't look like us and don't experience life the same way as we do. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those families that are the, the families of the victims of injustice, Lord, that we, we, we join them in mourning. We grieve with them, God. God, I pray, Lord, for them to have healing and hope, God. God, I pray for the police officers who are working on the front lines to uphold justice. God, that they would stand up for what is right, that they would stand up for justice, that they would enforce justice and not allow racism. God, I pray that you would 
grow us in our awareness of our own racism. Lord, that you would help us to reveal any sin that's in our hearts, God, and that you would, you would, your Holy Spirit would help us with your help, with your grace, help us to see where it is so that we can root that out, so that we can truly love our neighbor. God, I pray, Lord, for our community. I pray, Lord, for the work that you've begun, for what, have you, what you have started, what you are doing in our community. Lord, thank you, Lord. That Thank you for our brothers and sisters who are, um, are black and brown, and Lord, those in our community who have been willing to share their stories with us. God, I pray, Lord, that they... Lord, as they lead us in this, Lord, that they would, that you would give them courage to lead us in this, Lord Jesus. God, that you would help us as a community to really come together and to really know what it is to love one another. But we can't do anything without you. So, Lord, we ask, Lord, for your spirit, spirit to fill us today, wherever we are, and all of our even though we can't physically be together, Lord, wherever we are in our homes, go to each person, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for those who are feeling discouraged by the weight of what's been going on in the world, that you would give them courage and that you would give them a sense of hope. God, I thank you, Lord, for this community that you are building. I'm so grateful that you are, you have been so faithful and you have brought us so many great friends. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we continue in this journey, Lord, that we would never take a step away from you that, you, that you would continue to lead us and to guide us to become a church who declares the goodness of who you are and it reflects the image of you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for, for stepping into this awkward conversation. I, I believe that it's worth it. And I want to encourage you to take those steps uh, if you're interested in being a part of a conversation a, on a long-term basis, Lord, or in a long-term basis, but next month, if you want to jump into a conversation in one of those discussion groups, then I would encourage you, let us know that you're interested, so it'll help us inform us as we build these groups, and um, do that five-step reading, that five-day reading plan um, that's on version. I would encourage you to do that. Um, reach out to friends, build relationships with people who don't look like you. And uh, thank you for being with us this morning. We will hopefully see you again next week. Bye-bye.